Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 1, just the first two verses, we're looking, looking at the first commandment. Exodus chapter 20, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. And so now, go ahead and flip over to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. That's where we're going to be today. Now, to help us understand how the first commandment applies to us today, I want to take a journey to a couple thousand years ago and a couple thousand miles away to a place called Mount Carmel. On Mount Carmel... Uh, God's prophet Elijah went before the people and confronted them. They had not given God the loyalty he demanded and deserved, as we just read in the first commandment. They had been trying to blend the worship of Baal with the worship of the one true God. Now, mind you, during this time, Jezebel, the, the wife of the king, had, been ma- had massacred the prophets of the Lord. And so then, the Lord says to Elijah, go, present yourself to Ahab. There was a famine on the lands. God had been brought judgment on the land for, for what they had done. And after so many years, God says, go, present yourself to Ahab. And uh, so let's pick up there and read 1 Kings chapter 18, starting in verse 20. 1 Kings chapter 18, starting in verse 20, says, So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bowls and let them choose one bowl for themselves. Cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord. And I love this verse. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. So they all agree. Verse 25. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first. For you are many and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given them and they prepared it. And called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is meditating or he is busy. Or he is on a journey or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves 
as was their custom, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out of them, out on them. And when midday was past, they prophesied, they, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near me. So all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Then Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bowl in pieces, and laid it on the wood, and said, Fill four water pots with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. So, yesterday was our first contest or challenge of the ages. I don't know what we're calling it. But here we have the contest of the prophets. And by the way, the old men whooped the young men in the contest of the ages. Uh, so uh, now here, Elijah proposes the battle of the prophets, right? There were 450 prophets of Baal, 450. And on the opposing side, one prophet of God, Elijah. Now, it's interesting to note that Elijah says, I alone am left a prophet of God. And you, if you read earlier in chapter 18, you know he wasn't the only prophet. There were prophets that were hidden. But the point is, he was the only prophet. Get this. Think about this when you go home. He was the only prophet to, stay, to stand out and go before this, this Israel that had slaughtered their prophets. The only one. right? 450 to 1. The terms of engagement were clear. The 450 would cut up their bull, uh, get their, their pieces of wood, get their altar ready, um, but they were not to set fire to it. And Elijah would do the same, calling on the name of his Lord. Prophets of Baal calling on the name of their Lord. Right? Those are the terms of engagement. And victory would be clear. 
the God who answers by fire. He is God. I love that. And what follows is a scene that almost defies description. The prophets of Baal spent all day, morning to noon to evening, wailing and howling and cutting themselves to get a response from their God. But not a single response came. After listening to this for hours, right, Elijah starts to taunt them. He says, maybe your God is busy. You know, maybe he's taking care of business. Maybe he's somewhere else too far away and couldn't hear you. Maybe you need to shout louder. But look with me at verse 29. What does it say? But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. It's a sorry picture, isn't it? No matter how committed they felt, no matter how you know ferocious their their devotion to their God was, it didn't make a difference. It didn't make a difference. Well, then it was Elijah's turn. He repaired the altar of the God of Israel and had it drenched three times with water. And God wasted no time answering his prayer with fire. Forcing the people to identify either with Baal or with the Lord, Yahweh. And the people fell flat on their faces, saying, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. But why read this story? And why is the first commandment still important to us today, right? That's the point we're going to make. Well, in order to understand that, I think we need to know how the law works, especially to us today, after Christ. You see, the Ten Commandments were the foundation on which God would build his nation Israel. These commandments reflect the unchanging character of God. They are eternal, timeless, universally applicable, and unchanging. So first of all, these command, the, the commandments help people in any age recognize their imperfections. Galatians 3.24 says, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by what? Not by works of the law, but by faith. I love what Luther says. He says, As long as a person is not a murderer, adulterer, thief, he would swear that he, is a, that he is righteous. How is God going to humble such a person except by the law? The law is, a, is the hammer of death, the thunder of hell, the lightning of God's wrath to bring down the proud and shameless hypocrites. When the law was instituted on Mount Sinai, it was accompanied by lightning, by storms, by the sound of trumpets to tear to pieces that monster called self righteousness. As long as a person thinks he is right, he is going to be incomprehensibly proud and presumptuous. He is going to hate God, despise his grace and mercy, and ignore the promise in Christ. The gospel of free forgiveness of sin through Christ will never appeal to the self-righteous. This monster of self-righteousness, this stiff-necked beast, needs a big axe. 
And that is what the law is, a big axe. (laughs) I love that. Now, the law is here to say, hey there, Josh, you know, you're not all you think you're cracked up to be. Whack, right? And whether it works like an axe or like a mirror to show me that I've got a log in my own eye, the law, first of all, serves to convict us of our sin and convince us of our need of mercy and graciously lead us like children to the free forgiveness of sin through Christ. That's what the law does, first of all. Second of all, the law shows us our duty as those who have been justified by faith. The Puritan author Samuel Bolton wrote, The law sends us to the gospel that we may be justified. And the gospel sends us to the law again to inquire what is our duty as those who are justified. Some Christians mistakenly believe that they have no obligation to follow the Ten Commandments today. I get it. This stems from the principle that Christians are not under the law but under grace. Right? Romans 6.14. But if you continue to the next verse, Romans 6.15, it says, Then what? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Christians should not violate God's moral law because of their standing in grace. Jesus said in Matthew 5.17, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. The New Testament believers, we, New Testament believers, right, are freed from the bondage of sin through our faith in Christ, which allows us to freely live out God's commands with the help of the Holy Spirit. John 14.15 says, Jesus said, if you love me, what? Keep my commands. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth. That's what Jesus said. Jesus then summarized the commandments for us this way. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands hang all the law and the prophets. That's Matthew chapter 22, 37 through 40. So if you've ever dug into the Ten Commandments, you will see that if you take the first half, no other gods, number one. Number two, no idols, right? So the first two, uh, we must not worship false gods. And now that we know who the one true God is, we must not worship him in a false way. Those are the first two commandments. Number three, no blasphemy, right? God's name is important to him. Number four, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That's how we love God. That's how we love God. And the, the, the latter half, honor your father and mother. No murder. No adultery, no stealing, no lying, no coveting. That's how we love our neighbors as ourselves. These are our duties as Christians. This is our call to arms. As Christians, we are not left trying to figure out on our own what love looks like. 
The law is guidance for love. Think of it this way. Law and love are like two wings of an airplane. Both, I think everyone would agree, are necessary for flying. We have Christians today who are all about love, right? They're stuck on the runway, going around in circles, unable to soar because they don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. They're all about love. And they can't fly as God intends. And then we have other Christians who walk around with boxing gloves named law and order, right? Brutalizing their loved ones because they have forgotten that they themselves are so messed up. They needed the the love and grace of God to save them from their sins. We need both wings, law and love, to soar and to fulfill what God has for us. Which brings us back to the question, the point that started this whole thing. Why is the first commandment in particular still important to us today? Well, following those two principles, I'm going to give you two reasons, right? Number one, why is the first commandment, no other gods, applicable to us? And it's because the prevailing voices in America today will insinuate that many religions are pathways to God. And way too many of those who identify themselves as highly committed Christians agree. And that cannot be. There is only one God. That number should be zero. Zero Christians agreeing with that sentiment today. God settled it on the top of Mount Carmel a millennia ago. There are no other gods. Jesus is not just another prophet standing on the same level as Muhammad. He is the incarnate God. And one day, at the name of Jesus, every knee, including that of a Muhammad, will bow. That's what Philippians 2.10 tells us, right? We must treat our Hindu, our Muslim, our Jewish neighbors and friends, whatever they are, with courtesy and respect. However, we must recognize the clear differences that exist between our Christian faith and the religions of our neighbors. For example, Hinduism. Hinduism states that God has been incarnated multiple times. But Christianity declares the incarnation to be a unique event happening only in Jesus. We cannot both be right. Judaism says that Jesus was not the Messiah. But Christianity affirms that he is. Again, we cannot both be right. For 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So that's number one. There are no other gods, no other avenues. It is Christ alone. That's number one. We need to believe that. We need to teach that. We need to say that. And so number two, on the basis of the first commandment, we must be prepared to graciously and lovingly 
yet courageously declare that there are insurmountable differences between the Christian faith and other religions. The question then we need to ask is, who is going to take the truth of Christ to your friends, to your neighbors? Who is going to be the change agent in your schools, in your workplace? Who is going to be an ambassador for Christ in your circle of friends? Who is going to be the prophet on top of Mount Carmel? And who is going to be the other 100 hiding in a cave? Who? Are you willing to step out and ask your friend, what do you believe? And then say, after you listen to them, you know, I, do, I admit I don't believe the way you do, but you see, there's no hope for me anywhere else. I'm so messed up, I needed Jesus to save me from my sins. This salvation from my sin is more than a ticket to get into heaven. God has given me my true identity. He has given me belonging. He has given me purpose in Christ. You can't get that anywhere else. Identity, belonging, purpose. These three things things our culture is looking at all the wrong places for. Christ can give it all. And who's going to tell them? Will you? Well, one more thing and I'm done. You may be sitting there today and think, if God would just send some fire down from heaven for me, well, then I would believe. Or if you know God would just do this, I would trust him. I would trust him alone. I would stop worrying. I would stop going to all these other things. Well, Jesus had something to say about that. And Jesus says, if that's the way you think, well, you have a problem. Jesus said in his parable of the rich man and Lazarus, he said, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Thousands of years ago, through his prophet Elijah on top of Mount Carmel, God settled forever how many gods there were. If that doesn't convince you, there's not a miracle today that can. And one more time, Paul wrote in his letter to Timothy, There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. Do you believe it? Do you believe it?